0: Welcome into the odds and audibles podcast. I'm Matt Premier Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Friday edition of the podcast. A little shake up, if you will, of, of the order of things on the show uh, for the week uh, because of uh, some things that were going on earlier this week, mainly the college football playoff. We've pushed our Pac-12 picks to today, and we're going to combine that with our preview. Um, so we're going to dive right into these picks, guys. Uh, it was a good week for all three of us in terms of just picking straight up winners. We all undefeated. Kudos to us on that one. Let's hope that carries over into this, this week as well. Um, first on the docket, Arizona goes on the road to Washington state. Cougars have two chances to get bowl eligible. This is one of two. The other is a game against Washington and, um, I am picking Washington State here. I think they are going to win this game. They're 15-point favorites, and I'm going to say that they cover by the slimmest of margins. Give me WSU 35, Arizona 14.
1: Both these teams are coming off losses against the top two teams in the conference, so it's not like either one of these teams is played. You know, they're pretty even in terms of what they're coming off of, um, and because it's in Pullman and because Washington State's just better, I'll take the Cougs to win and cover. I go 41-17 Washington State.
2: Yeah, I didn't put too much thought into this one. Washington State's just a better team. Arizona has been frisky the last three weeks, so I will give them that, including a, a victory over 13 players that cal had um so i have i have washington state winning uh 37 18 i think they'll cover it pretty easily
0: next game on the docket is a 12 p.m kick on saturday by the way the arizona washington state game is a friday game on the pac-12 networks that makes no sense um saturday the first game of the week is washington hitting the road going to colorado games on the pac-12 network Uh, Washington is a a six-and-a-half-point favorite here. Um, They played Arizona State a lot tougher than expected. Uh, They still have a possibility of getting to bowl eligibility. They have to win out. Colorado no longer can make a bowl game. They are three and seven. Give me the upset. I'm going to pick the buffs here. Um, I I don't think they have better talent than Washington, but I'm going to assume that they have better coaching and that's going to be the difference aside from it being a home game uh, for colorado even if there is a very little home field advantage if you will um, washington six and a half point favorites but i'm going to go colorado 27 washington 24. you
1: told me before the season this was even a pick'em game or i'd have yeah. to put much thought into it i'd be stunned um i am going with washington uh i I don't know why other than maybe I just, it's a reputational pick and Colorado has been so bad at times this season. It just feels absurd to pick them. Um, but if you, I mean, honestly, I get Matt's pick because if you look at what's happened the last month, it seems like Colorado's kind of figured some things out and Washington's had to fire its coach and it's been playing pretty dreadful on offense. I think it's going to be low scoring regardless. Neither of these offenses are great. I go Washington 23, 14.
2: I have Washington as well. Um, I think they'll, I don't know I, I liked how they played last week against arizona state um i think coaching at towards the end of the game really killed them uh they still covered somehow so that's a, it's a nice thing to note um but yeah i don't really have any faith in colorado uh i think washington's just far superior i think their defense is really going to hold colorado at bay um i don't know i think washington might have a good week so i have washington winning 31 to 20 over colorado
0: Next game on the docket, one p.m. on Fox. Uh, UCLA goes to USC, and this is a, U- a UCLA team that's now become bowl eligible. They're six and four. Utah uh, USC has um, a bye week essentially because their game against Cal last week got canceled. So they're coming off a, a week in which they didn't play. They're four and five. They're still eligible to to make a bowl game. I mean, they, shoot, they could. They could finish the year, as crazy as it sounds, seven and five and, and win a bowl mm-hmm. game and be eight and five, which is kind of nuts considering how bad USC has been all season. Um, the Bruins, only a three point favorite in this football game. That kind of surprises me. I, I've seen some talk out there about betting this one hard on UCLA. I agree. I think they're the better coach team, uh, they have the better defense. Um, they probably have the better quarterback, but that's not really saying too much. And I just don't trust USC's offense without Drake London. So um, give me UCLA winning this football game 30-24. to 24.
1: I've grossly over-respected USC all season. I was just looking back at some of the picks I've made. Um, <laughs> that, that ends here. I, I just I, I don't believe in them. I don't think that they really have shown a whole lot of fight the last two or three games. Obviously, last week – Who knows, because it was COVID-related. Maybe that was a big week to get everything kind of sorted out, but I just don't see it. So I have UCLA winning, and we should note, like, for me, I think part of it is if Chip Kelly wins out and they get to eight regular season wins, he secures his job. And as we've established before, this is a Chip Kelly-friendly podcast, at least for me. So I'm kind of maybe a little bit of rooting interest here that UCLA wins and wins convincingly. So I have the Bruins winning 41-23 in a game where there's no doubt which team in L.A. is better this year.
2: I don't think there's much doubt in LA which team is better. I think it's UCLA. I don't really think it's close. Um I love this game. Watch it basically every year of my life. Um UCLA needs to stop anything that USC tries to do on the ground and really force USC to try to make some throws to the air because they don't have a quarterback. They've been you know, having this uh this scheme where they play both Jackson Dart and Eden Slovis all the time. So I do think if, if USC says, hey, we're going to play one dude this entire game, that might actually help their offense. But I still think US, or UCLA is the more talented team. Uh, they're the better coach team. They have the better defense. And with that, I have UCLA winning 42 to 30. I think it will be a high scoring one.
0: By the way, I didn't really realize these two teams were playing until yesterday when mm-hmm. I was looking at the games of the week. Like, There's literally no hype at all. Um, no.
2: Nor should there be, though.
0: Yeah, I agree. But like, it's just it's just sad that this is a, a game that should always be must see TV, and it's not even being discussed.
1: I feel the uh, Matt. I feel the exact same way about the next game we're about to talk
0: about. Cal at Stanford, four o'clock on the Pac twelve networks. Uh, Cal is three and six. Stanford's three and seven. Cal has to win out. They have to to win this game. I think uh, they play UCLA next week. And then they've got to play USC uh, the Saturday after the Pac-12 championship game to be bowl eligible. Uh, Tough sledding for the Bears to do that. Um, I think they've unfortunately kind of had their season ruined because of of some crazy health protocols, COVID protocols by the city of Berkeley. Um, I think they're the better team than Stanford. Stanford's been pretty beat up. Um, I'm – Cal is a one-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. I'm going to pick Cal, but I don't really have a lot of confidence in either team, honestly, winning this game, which is impossible to happen. I just don't like either team, and so it, it's going to be kind of ugly. It's going to be nasty. It's not going to be a, an attractive game to watch. Give me Cal 27, Stanford 23.
1: My fr- I wrote my notes here, WTF – That's just the first thing I wrote. Like, I don't know what to do with this game. Um, It looks like both Garbers and McKee are playing um, in this one. So you're going to have the best quarterbacks, which is good, I guess. Cal, I don't even know what to make of Cal, given like they they could suddenly pop up on Friday. You know, I guess it's coming up that shows released. Like, that they're not playing or that a third of the roster is, again, not available. So, um, and, and I guess I should also note like, there was a little bit of me that said, It would really be a bummer if Oregon's only loss on the season was to a team that lost its final seven games of the year. (laughs) I'm going Stanford. Hopeful Eric is hoping that Stanford shows a little bit, just shows a little bit of life here and that they are able to, to beat their rival. These games are always competitive. McKee playing gives me a little hope the Cardinal can do it. Um, I got Stanford 34-28, and that way we don't look at this season and say Oregon's one loss was to a team that lost like every single game for the last two months of the season because that's just a miserable way to frame a season. Um,
2: similar to you, Eric, I wrote down first two things I wrote down were IDK and weird game. Uh, yeah. I don't know. The, these. I don't know, man. These, these two teams are – I have no idea where to actually think about them. Both of them have been roughed up. Cal had – a million people out against arizona and lost and then didn't play last week because of covid protocols and stanford has been terrible so that's not good um this one was just a gut feeling and i have cal winning 27 21. i don't expect it to be nice i expect it to be a really gross ugly game and one that i do not anticipate watching a single moment of
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of me (laughs) <laughs> it's uh, true. Though. It's true, though. That's <laughs> it's true. Uh, you want
0: to <laughs> watch it, man? <laughs> Do you want to watch? We're going to be busy with our with our game uh, that we have to cover here. Um, have to even cover. If yeah. man, even if I wasn't. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next game is the last game of the day in the conference, and that is. I think this is a very sneaky game for a lot of different reasons. Um, Arizona State at seven and three goes on the road to Oregon State. was playing their last home game of the season. They're at six and four. They've now become eligible. ASU three-point favorite in this football game. And I have been burned a ton of times by Oregon State. I I think they have missed an opportunity to really have a strong season. Um, I think they should be eight and two right now and not six and four. Um, and we would be talking about a, a top 25 OSU team um, in this one. And if they had won, maybe a top 15 OSU team going into uh, Oregon, uh, hosting Oregon State next week. Um, but they have missed opportunities. I do think they are, the, they are capable of winning this football game. I'm going to pick the upset. This is the only upset I'm picking of the, of the entire week. Um, I, I just, I don't know what it is. I think something about Oregon State playing at home in these types of big games, they can't beat the bottom dwellers, but they can certainly beat the better programs in the conference this season for whatever reason. So I think Jonathan Smith dials up a good game plan and Chance Nolan for, for Oregon State has a good game. BJ Baylor dominates on the run game here as well. And they make just enough plays to walk out of Corvallis with a 31-28 to 28 victory.
1: Oregon State is 3-0 at home in Pac-12 play, 1-3 and on the road in Pac-12 play. This is a home game. I'm siding with Oregon State. I also will say Arizona State is so hard to predict because, yeah. I mean, you think about the two games they've just played with Washington State and Washington recently. Washington State, they totally crapped the bed in the first half. They turn it over basically every time. They get blown off their own turf, and then they go to Seattle and play a team that doesn't even have a head coach, really, and it's really competitive until the last – like there's an onside kick at the end of the game. They have to sweat in a game that they should win by a lot. And I I just don't really know if I believe in the Herm Edwards-coached Sun Devils right now. So um, I'm going maybe against the better team because I think Arizona State's a more talented team, but – I'm going Oregon State 31-27, very similar score to what Matt Matt just gave.
2: Uh, I have never believed in the Herm Edwards coached Arizona State Sun Devils. I don't think he's a good coach. But that being said, I've got Arizona State to win. Mm. I don't know why, but here I am again giving <laughs> Arizona State the benefit of the doubt. I have them winning 35 to 28. Um, I think their rush defense is stout enough where Oregon State will have a hard time running the ball just like at will and they're going to need Chance Nolan to show up, and I'm betting that he does not. So I will take the Sun Devils, and maybe they'll throw for over 100 yards this time.
0: (laughs) All right, let's get to uh, the game that we cover the most uh, on this podcast or the team that we cover the most, and that is the Oregon Ducks. Uh, They go to Utah now. um, 430 kick on ABC. Uh, This is a big football game. And we've got Sean McDonough, Todd Blackledge, uh, Molly McGrath calling the game. So no Rod Gilmore, guys. Uh, no Rod Gilmore. So And it sounds like we're, we're also getting uh, good quality TV trucks um, for, this, for this one as well. So we'll be able to actually see this game play out in HD fashion. Sweet. Um, what a wild idea. Utah is a slight favorite in this game. And... The line has never really moved off of that. I'm kind of curious. Let's start there. Is that surprising at all in this game, considering Oregon's the number three team in the country. They've lost one game all year, and yet they're a three-point underdog on the road against a three-loss Utah team.
1: It it certainly surprises me. I I think when we did our podcast trying to remember if it was a recap or if it was, because all these run together, if it was a mailbag show we talked about, and I made the point of, okay, well, Utah's opened as a favorite, but I wonder if Oregon will end up catching them or it'll be close to even. And again, as Matt said, the line has not moved really at all. Um, That really surprises me. Um, The the fact that this is a three point line on the road suggests that these two teams are about even on a neutral site. And I just Mm -hmm. don't think that's a very fair representation of these teams. I'm kind of perplexed by it. You know, I also understand we've been critical of Oregon playing inconsistently at times this season. Um, That has happened. I think the month of November and the last couple weeks of October were much better, though. And I think Oregon's been playing pretty darn good football. And there is a certain level of disrespect with what we're seeing here with the line. I don't think there's any question about that. I would have expected there'd be some late money coming out in Oregon. Maybe that'll still happen. We're recording this on Thursday. Maybe by Saturday when the game kicks off we look up and it's closer to even. Um, I also think part of the reason for that line is just because of what the national narrative is, which is there is an expectation Oregon's going to lose this game. And that's, I mean, I'm not saying everyone is saying that that's not the case. There have been certainly publications that have sided with Oregon, but there's just kind of a growing kind of narrative that Oregon won't win this weekend. And I don't necessarily understand where that's coming from. Um, Oregon and Utah have, played in 2019 in a similar situation. Oregon routed them that day, you know? And if you look at this year's team, Oregon's been playing, I would say better football, like pretty objectively the last two or three games. And now I know Utah clobbered Stanford. There were some circumstances around that. and I don't know if they're trying to do this Well, you're using a common opponent here and and, and Oregon lost to Stanford and Utah beat Stanford by 40 points, but those teams are drastically different. And the yeah. circumstances were drastically different around those two games. Um, you know, David Shaw has had an inverse this season Usually Shaw's teams get hot in November And they played really well It's been the opposite this year They've fallen apart Injuries have played a play to deal with that I think just a lack of talent overall A depth has played a role in that Oregon got Stanford playing at a high level And Utah got Stanford with its third string quarterback Playing at about a lowest level as possible So I-, I say all that just to I am confused a little bit this week with what I've been seeing, what I've been reading, what I'm hearing. I don't want to. Again, I'm not saying I'm not trying to misrepresent anything that's happened on a national level because there has certainly been. I've seen folks complimentary of Oregon and their chances in this game, but I'm kind of perplexed by um, by the way that this game is being talked about. Because Michigan State, Ohio State is talked about like Ohio State's the higher ranked team. They're like a 20 point favorite. Everyone expects that they're going to clobber the Spartans. I, I know this game is on the road as opposed to. Ottson, but I would have anticipated that their, Oregon would be getting similar, and I know Ohio State and Oregon aren't the same program, but Oregon be getting similar, um, I guess, just respect from a national perspective, but they're not. And I don't know if that will fuel anything for Oregon. I'm sure that they're aware of the fact that they're underdogs. We should note Oregon is 2 and 0 this season as road underdogs. They're underdogs mm-hmm. against Ohio State and UCLA. Maybe yeah. that plays a role. Um, I'm picking them to win. We'll get to that in a moment. But I I agree, Matt. I've been a little bit confused with how dismissive the national narrative seems to be about this game from an Oregon perspective. It just sort of feels like, hey, we don't want Oregon to be in this top four. Let's hope they lose this week because if that happens, then you don't have to worry about the Pac-12. Yeah,
2: I was really confused when the line came out. Um, I didn't expect Oregon to be like like a 9, 10-point favorite, but I did expect them to be a favorite even though it's on the road this is still the number three team in the country going against the number 23 team, a seven and three Utah who has played really well the last couple of weeks. Don't get me wrong, but so is Oregon. Like it's as simple as that. they're both you know firing on, you know, like all cylinders at this point, Um, just as a reference, Alabama plays Arkansas this week, Uh, Alabama at home against Arkansas, who's number 21 in the country. I would go out and say that Arkansas is a better team than Utah. Um, I don't really think that's going on a limb either. Alabama is a 21-point favorite. Like, okay, uh, it does. It still doesn't make any sense to me that Oregon's not at least some somewhat of a favorite. Um, and to Eric's point, yeah, like the, the the national narrative and intention is that Oregon has to play Utah twice in the last three weeks of the of the year, which it, every day it looks like that more and more, and that's going to be the case. Um, but everybody just expects Oregon to lose one of those games. And it looks like they expect them to lose this game and, not, and win the Pac-12 championship. It's a very strange thing. Um, yeah, I, I don't know where this is really coming from. Obviously, Oregon has played up and down this year. Uh, the loss to Stanford is pretty is really bad. Not just pretty bad you know, going at this point in the season. And they're not the flashy team. They are not going to outscore teams like the bottom dollars of the Pac-12 like Cal or Colorado or uh, Arizona by 45 like Alabama would like Georgia would like Ohio State would but that's just how they play their offense Um, they're just not going to score that many points to begin with most weeks almost every single week but what they do is that they win games and and we'll get to our predictions later I do have Oregon winning as well Um, these are two similar teams eric i know you wrote a column or an article this week on com talking about how the the offenses for utah and oregon are rather similar run heavy with a game managing quarterback and the difference is is that you know oregon continues to win at a higher level than utah Um, and for that i still perplexed as to why the line is utah minus three i know it's away but even still um, This is a a number three team going on the country or going on the road to the number twenty-three team. I don't think they should be favored that much.
0: I think this is a a byproduct of Oregon not winning any games really up until this point, besides the Colorado one in blowout fashion. Like you've you've kind of created some doubt and it's kind of amplified for unfair reasons and here we are, of Oregon being a three-point underdog. I mean, that's it, they're facing. Uh, this is who Oregon is as an offense right now. Okay, they are the twenty-first best scoring offense in the country. They are, uh, I believe, the second-best scoring offense in the conference yes. from a rushing perspective. They are eleventh in the country. They are the eleventh best rushing offense in the country. Now you go per average and per, per carry average and they jump all the way up to six now utah is four um but we're talking about one of the best rushing teams one of the best scoring teams in the country and they're going up against a utah team that traditionally is good defensively and more often than not they are an elite team defensively that is not the case this season from a scoring perspective, they are ranked 53rd in the country in points allowed. From a rushing defensive standpoint, they are I had them here. They're 55th in the country in yards allowed per game. Now you want to shift it to an average perspective here. Um, you know, they're somewhere in the in the 40s or sorry, I missed it. 56 or even worse. Mm-hmm. So, Oregon's strength here is their bre- their bread and butter is their run game and Utah traditionally is very stout against the run. They are a team that plays a very similar style to Oregon. Hey, let's run the football. Let's play lights out defense. And let's, they'll score field goals or not score at all. We'll score touchdowns and we'll win the game 28 to the 20. And we'll, we'll walk out with a good, a good win. This isn't that type of a team for Utah. At least what they've shown to date, you know you can run on this team. You can see some success on this team, and I think we're going to see this this Oregon offense try and do that. Especially because we need to talk about this as well. Johnny Johnson's status to play in this game is unknown. Um, we've not seen him walk out of practice. I think all three of us would be pretty surprised if yeah. he plays on Saturday against Utah. And then his replacement, Micah Pittman has gone up and left the program this week because he's unhappy with his role and how he's been used. Um, and we can talk about how silly of a comment that is, in my opinion, when the guy you're, you know, you're going to be thrust into a bigger role now, um, he, he's no longer a part of this team. And so I, I think with some issues of depth at receiver and the ability to run the football and Utah's inability to, st- to be an elite team to stop it, I think we could see a big game on the ground, or at least Oregon try to accomplish that.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's what these two teams are, and I think that's what you're going to see is, is Oregon try to establish the ground game, and if they succeed, which they've done a really good job of, of late, last three games over 250 yards, that's not easy to do against anybody. If they succeed. I, I just don't see how they don't win this game pretty decisively. Um, I mean, part of me does feel like there's a, a chance this game plays out similar to the 2019 Pac-12 championship game, um, where the narrative, for whatever reason, all week is Oregon's unlikely to win the game. And then not only does Oregon win, but they win pretty decisively. Um, this Oregon team is, in, in certain instances, is better than that 2019 team on offense in terms of running the football. Um, I think this offensive line is really good. Um, And Utah, like Matt said, their defensive line is not quite what they've been recently. They've got great linebackers. Um, They are really disruptive in terms of forcing tackles for loss and sacks. They're way ahead of everybody in the conference in those statistics. So if this does become a game where Oregon is forced to throw the football and is forced to try to beat them that way, that that could get a little bit hairy because I think Utah can get to the quarterback. but I also say, like, I'm just not all that confident Utah's going to stop Oregon on the ground. I mean, I, you know, the three losses this year, they've allowed over 200 yards rushing. Um, and they gave up 260 yards rushing against Oregon State. Oregon is just as good of an offensive in terms of running the football as Oregon State is. I, I mean, I, I really feel that way. So um, we'll get into some predictions and stuff. I don't want to spoil all the all the treats there in terms of what I see for this game. But... I feel pretty positive. And again, I'm just a little surprised that it's Thursday this week and Oregon's number three and Utah's 23. I know we've said this already. And that, that that there seems to be a sense nationally that Oregon is, is unlikely to win this game because I, I feel quite the opposite, um, frankly. And I think part of it might be just because the scoreboard has not always been overly indicative of how dominant Oregon has been. Right. So like even the Washington game and the Washington state game, and I'll even include the Colorado and UCLA games where games where Oregon was up by quite a bit more late in those games or had an opportunity to extend them. But the opponent for whatever reason, you know, and I think you can go back to the UCLA game, self-inflicted wounds, two turnovers set up easily to make it closer Colorado an injury, to Steve Stevens now you have Brian Addison out there and they just pick on him the entire second half and and, and they are mm-hmm. also playing reserves at points in the second half they close the close the gap the Washington game should have been closer there are a couple calls that weren't made correctly It was also in inclement weather and then this Washington State game Oregon was up 21 points with nine seconds to play before a Washington State touchdown and said it looks like it's 14. you know it, there there is a world here where I think that people are a little bit more appreciative of what Oregon has done this year especially the last four weeks and that shifts the narrative but Again, if you're just kind of scoreboard watching which it seems like what's going on a lot of the time here and i understand that because we're when you're covering a team that isn't the school you're discussing or you're a national reporter and you're asked to cover 40 50 teams it's hard to kind of parse through it all um, i just think that oregon's being a little bit slighted in terms of how it's being represented right now and it seems like it's almost just too it fits the narrative of oregon doesn't belong they're going to lose they're not going to be in this ohio state's outplayed oregon since that game Oregon's not very good. That was a that was a lucky win, that win shouldn't have happened. And all of that feels very convenient to me right now. And I just get a sense that the worst that the what the last thing ESPN and some of these teams that cover, you know, that 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 broadcast the college football playoff want is Oregon to be there. And it feels very easy that if Oregon loses one of these two games, obviously one of these three, but if lose to Utah one of these times, that's not the case. And there's somewhat of a rooting interest, it seems like, for that to be what happens.
2: I I I have the same feelings on How this game will play out, Eric? Like you do, where where you compared it to the 2019 Pac-12 Pac-12 Championship game, Um, and that was a far better Utah defense. Like not even close. They had a lot of NFLers on that defense, and I think I don't know. I remember going into that game, Utah allowed I think like under 70 yards per game on the ground on the season.
1: I don't think crazy. I don't think Jared, Utah had allowed a single 100-yard rusher going into the game, and then Verdell ran for 208, was, was yeah. my recollection.
2: Right. And yeah, and then Oregon finished the game with like 240 or 239, something like that. And that's kind of how I feel going into this game. Um, I wrote an article on, on Duckterard.com where I kind of broke down how Oregon's offensive line is playing right now. And the last three games, uh, Oregon has racked up a total of 891 yards on the ground, which comes out to an average of 297 yards per game. And that's astonishing. Like, that is absolutely ridiculous. So this offensive line, even through all of the, the injuries, the reshuffling, all of that, they're still dominating at a high level. And yeah, I think Utah's probably one of the better defenses in the conference. Don't get me wrong. Um, it'll be a harder task than it was against against Washington, whose defensive line isn't as good, or against Colorado or, or Washington State, but they're still dominating at a high level. Yeah. And I think when you get into a game like this where Oregon can execute exactly what they want to do on the ground, yeah, that's really bad for any, any opposition. Um, because once Oregon exploits that, they will continue to do it. And until you fix it, or at least try to fix it. They're not going to do anything else. You saw that against Washington. There were multiple drives where Anthony Brown threw the ball like two times max in like a 10 play drive and Oregon just went down the field running. Um, it's a, I'm still kind of, you know, I'm still kind of perturbed by the, the, the minus three for Utah. I just, just don't understand it. Like these are just two different teams and I, again, like narrative of Oregon's going to lose one of these matchups to Utah. It's probably going to be this one because it's an away game. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 for, one, for one, I don't really understand why like the narrative is like that, they, that the cultural playoff doesn't want Oregon in there. I think that would help grow the sport. You need a West Coast team every once in a while. And if it's not going to be USC or, or if Washington's not going to be a good program for a couple of years um, it's going to be Oregon. And I think a lot of people would take that rather than have Oklahoma be back in it and see a bunch of, uh, you know, re, rematches of like the 2017 college football playoffs. Like we've been seeing the last three, four years. And I don't know where to go. Like, I, I still think that Oregon's ground offense is going to be a, just a, such a big factor. And obviously, Utah is going to prep for that. They're going to do everything they can. But you know, with, with how well Oregon's offensive line is playing right now in run block and pass blocking, I think it's, that's going to be the huge decisive factor if that Oregon can establish the run right away with Die with Cardwell, whoever it is, with Anthony Brown. I think that'll be, the, that'll be how the game plays out. You'll see mm-hmm. that in the first quarter.
0: I think it's notable that every time Oregon plays in, in these, like from an outside the program perspective, big football games, Ohio State this year, UCLA this season, um, you look at Washington this season, they don't get blown out. They haven't won every single one of them, but it feels like Oregon plays it's best football, you know, it's better games of the year and these types of moments. Um, and oftentimes they win these games. And I I just feel like this is maybe maybe I'm I'm way overconfident in this team, but I, I just feel like this is one of those moments where Mario Cristobal is being told his team isn't good enough, everyone's doubting him when they've got a number three next to their name, they're playing on primetime TV on a channel everyone in the country will get against a solid, really good opponent. And it just feels like this is going to be one of those games where they're going to come out and they're going to play an A-level performance and they're going to look good. Um, we've seen it time and time again. And I, I I do, the only concern I do have is Cameron rising at quarterback. Um, I, I think Tim DeRuiter said it perfectly. Like he's not this Uber athlete. He just somehow figures out how to get plays done. And Mario Cristobal talked about how he has a really good ability to not turn the football over. Eric, you asked this question about how he he doesn't turn the ball over and he, he doesn't make mistakes. And I think, Mm -hmm. I think if, if Cameron rising comes out and has, he doesn't have to have his best game of his career, but if he has one of his better games of his career, and has a performance where he's lights out that creates issues because then Oregon has to worry about the run and the pass. Basically what I'm saying is if Oregon can make Utah one dimensional and part of that could be by Oregon scoring, you know, three or four times in a row on it's on its first few possessions of the game to force Utah to be one dimensional. But if Utah is consistent with the run and their pass, I think that could be some issues. For Oregon's defense because they are banged up. Steve Stevens probably will not be playing in this game. Um, I, I do think they have some some depth issues in the secondary, um, and Cam Rising has shown that he can he can make you pay uh, if if you give him the opportunity to. Yeah, no, I I mean
1: I don't want to disrespect Utah at all. I mean they've got a talented team. I think Cameron Rising is a good dual threat quarterback. He, he's not a great athlete like you said, but. He's physical and he's willing to run the football. Um, He doesn't have the straight line speed that maybe an Anthony Brown does, or the same kind of vision. I'm not suggesting he's on Brown's level because I think Brown is, frankly, I mean what one of the best quarterbacks from a rushing perspective Oregon has ever had. I mean Marcus Mariota is obviously always going to be the goat in that conversation, but I mean I think Anthony Brown this season is proving to be one of the better, you know, in that discussion to be after Marcus. Um, On a list, if you're just looking at Russian quarterbacks, Cameron Rising's not that. But he's similar in terms of his ability and willingness to run. And, and he's pretty effective throwing the football. Um, you look at the stats, yeah. nothing's going to blow you away. There's not gaudy numbers. Frankly, no one in the Pac-12 has them. But as Matt said, the fact that he hasn't thrown an interception, um, I did the stats, 129 pass attempts without one, uh, 18 straight quarters without interception. He threw two interceptions in the first half against Arizona State. Um, and then led them on a comeback in the second half. It was a big comeback, too. They were down 21 points at half. Um, and then the subsequent four games after that, no turnovers, no interceptions from him. So getting to Cameron Rising, for, you know, if Kayvon Thibodeau can have a big game and make him uncomfortable, maybe force him to make some throws he doesn't want to make, that can change it a little bit. But yeah, I mean, Cameron Rising is a very competent quarterback. I, I don't think there's any question about that. He's a veteran quarterback. You know, this might be just his first year starting at Utah, but he's a fourth-year player in college. He started at Texas, started his career at Texas, start games at Texas. To be clear, and then transferred closer to home to Utah. Oregon recruited him out of high school. Um, this is a, this is a, a very competent player. I, I don't know if necessarily he's going to be able to make those tough big throws to beat you, though. Um, and that's kind of the type of team that that would really concern me from an Oregon perspective of the nfl caliber arm with the nfl caliber receivers on the outside i don't see that with utah at all
2: no i i agree i think this is a game where if oregon can uh, stop utah's rushing attack with their defensive line play which has been great recently um i'm all right if utah has to have cameron rising try to beat oregon i think that's an opportunity that oregon would take advantage of and I still, like I've been saying all week, I still really like Oregon's pass rush against Utah's offensive line. I haven't been overly impressed with them. Um, I've watched like 20, 30 minute long videos of of every Utah game, and I just don't I like their offensive line in terms of their rush blocking, but their pass blocking is has some left to be desired. And it's you know fortunate that Cameron Rising is really good on the ground. And so that's something that that Oregon's going to have to you know, prepare for and take advantage of. But I think they've done that in recent weeks. I think that started against uh, during Thompson Robinson, UCLA. Um, you've seen Noah Sewell become this type of spy where he just kind of sits near the line on on pass plays and just follows the eyes of the quarterback. And this, you see him I don't know, jump up and block a couple passes every once in a while. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's waiting for either a short pass or he's waiting for the quarterback to go out and scramble. And well, no one's going to outrun Noah Sewell as a quarterback and especially not camera rising. So if, if Oregon gets in the, into the, into the game where they're stopping the run and they're forcing third down and longs, um, you know, they've had an issue with third down and longs this year, of course, but that's an ideal scenario for Oregon. Um, I think you know, obviously Utah runs a lot of 12 personnel sets a lot of two tight end packages and they use their tight ends probably more than anybody in the conference. But along the perimeter, I think Oregon's defense and their secondary can hold up. Um, Linebacker coverage has always been an issue this year for Oregon and it'll, it'll have to be something to work on and excel at against Utah because they will try to exploit you in that facet of their offense.
0: Kayvon Thibodeau, is, is when Utah has the football, I feel like he was unblockable against Utah in the, in the 2019 championship game. And it, could this be one of those types of performances for him? Like where Because I think that's when he really kind of burst on the scene. Everyone knew he was a five-star. Everyone knew that mm-hmm. he was going to be a really good college football player. But I think that game is what turned him into like Oh, he could be a number one draft pick down the road when he comes out. Oh, he's maybe a top five pass rusher in college football right now. Could that be the? Could we see something similar to that where it's like he dominates and the feeling is, oh, this is this is by far the number one draft pick. Like, because there is debate: do you go quarterback even though they're not the best player, or do you just take the best player available, which is probably KT? Like. I, I think that opportunity is here for him where he could, because Utah plays a, a style of football that he could be in a position to have a huge game.
1: Are we doing our predictions? Cause that's one of mine. Um, uh, not to spoil it, but, uh, I, I could totally see that happening. And, and part of that is because teams have, been, have really schemed against KT all year. Um, And they've done it in a variety of ways, whether it is bring extra people over there, you know, ensure that your tight ends and linebackers, sorry, linebackers, your running backs are are helping out, you know, chipping, double teaming, triple teaming him. Um, Washington State ran a lot of things right where he was at, like right over his head. Um, Utah, though, is kind of like I respect Utah and the fact that they kind of are who they are. And they're not going to really get caught up in trying to, I'm not saying they don't game plan for opposing players because I'm sure they're going to have some wrinkles, but. Utah's going to play the way they always play, and it's going to come down to can like a Brant Keithy as a tight end help out because they're going to be in a lot of 12-man, you know. And how do they? How do these tackles for Utah hold up? I mean, we just saw Kayvon Thibodeau against Abe Lucas for Washington State, who's arguably, I don't know, the best left tackle, one of the best left tackles in the Pac-12, and Thibodeau got a couple sacks against him. Utah doesn't have that same caliber of of offensive tackle. I should note, and this is going to be something to watch, is Utah is the best in the conference in protecting a, in their quarterback. Um, they've only allowed 10 sacks all season. Um, it's a pretty darn good stat in 10 games. At the same time, they haven't faced a Kayvon Thibodeau yet. And I mentioned it earlier in the week that I think Oregon's run offense is kind of, it's independent of the opposition in terms of its ability to have success. I feel the same way about Kayvon Thibodeau against 99% of college football offensive tackles. There's going to be a couple of guys out there. Like if Oregon plays Alabama, there's a pretty good left tackle there you don't want to mess with. I'm sure there are others out there that I'm not aware of um, or that, that that people will be screaming at my, you know, they're screaming at me going, Oh, you think about this guy. Most of the time Thibodeau is going to have the edge. And I think he will on, on Saturday again.
2: I think I'll have the edge too. Uh, Before we get to our predictions, I would I would pay to see Evan Neal versus KT. That'd be, that'd be a lot of fun.
0: Let's go into our picks. Um, I'll start first with some individual offensive stuff. I think we've talked a lot about um, this week, the run game, the last couple of weeks with the run game. I, I'm going to go with Travis Dye, and I think he is going to have – a big game on the ground um I think he's also just gonna have a big game in general and so I'm gonna say he has a 200 all-purpose yardage performance on this stage and I think he's gonna have a a performance that cements him as the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year um it it, we've, we've done a lot about him he's had a lot of big games this is going to be another one. 200 all-purpose yards. And I'll even throw in, he scores two touchdowns. I
1: like that. Make the degree of difficulty more, more difficult on yourself there, Matt. Um, <laughs> just throw in more touchdowns. <laughs> I uh, I am in lockstep with you. I you know CJ Verdell had his big moment against Utah in the Pac-12 championship in 2019. I think Travis Dye has his against Utah on Saturday. Um, I didn't go – I didn't go all-purpose. I didn't talk touchdowns in part because I got bit on this a couple weeks ago where I tried to get a bunch of 200 yards and touchdowns, and I got the 200 yards but didn't get the touchdown, so I didn't get myself the point. So I'm I'm, I'm battling here for perfection this week. I want to go five for five, and um, I was four for five last week. I think uh, I think Travis Dye runs for his second-highest rushing output of the season. Currently, that's 145 yards against California, so anything 146 or above hits. So basically, I think he runs for at least 150 yards.
2: I'm going away from the rushing attack. Uh, I thought it was too obvious of a thing. Uh, With Michael Pittman gone and Johnny Johnson probably not playing, I'd be stunned if he did. Uh, I think this is going to be the Jalen Red game. We have not seen a lot from Jalen Red, as we have in years past in his time at Oregon. Um, I think this is it. I think he provides a mismatch uh, almost all the time on the field. I think Oregon will look to get Anthony Brown involved early. I think they need to get him up in a rhythm before they start attacking on the ground. Um, and with that, I have Jalen Redd having five receptions, 60-plus yards, and at least one touchdown.
0: Offensive individual – or offensive team drill here, or team stat. Wow, team drill. I meant practice apparently. Um, Oregon, I think, has I, – I, I think this is going to be a run game with the fact that Utah is a little susceptible to being run on. Um, I think the Johnny Johnson injury, the Micah Pittman departure has created a little bit of depth concern at that spot. I, I think Devin Williams, um, Troy Franklin, Jalen Red, Chris Hudson, uh, Dante Thornton are very, very capable, really, a really good core group of guys, but there's, there's not a lot of them left um, because of injury, because of uh, departure. And so I think this is going to be one in which Oregon leans on the run game. They're going to go over 300 yards rushing for almost the third time in four, in four games. Um, give me 300 yards rushing on the ground for Oregon's offense between Travis Dye, Anthony Brown, Byron Cardwell, maybe even Seven McGee. I just think this is going to be one of their better performances all the way around.
1: Yeah, I have similar prediction here. Um, I've been hitting this 200 or more yards thing every week from a team rushing perspective, and they've been hitting 300. So I'm upping it to 250, not quite to the level that Matt is predicting. But I wouldn't be surprised if it gets there, honestly. That'd be three straight 300-yard rushing games, which, gosh, I'd love to know some data on that. When was the last time Oregon has had 300 rushing yards in three consecutive weeks? That's got to be, I'm guessing, Chip Kelly era maybe Mark Helfrich with Marcus Mariota era. I don't know, I probably have to go back and look through that as as I do think that's a possibility. Um, One thing I will just note in terms of the losses of Johnson and Pittman and mostly just Johnny Johnson because he's a fantastic blocker. I, I am a little bit aware of the fact that if DJ Johnson who did not play against Washington State and we don't have full clarity if he's available this week, Mario seems to indicate they're hopeful he will play. If DJ and Johnny Johnson don't play, you're removing your two best non-offensive line blockers from the equation. And if there is maybe a spot where Oregon's run game takes a bit of a hit, maybe it's just with the absence of those two guys. I'm not saying they can't run the football without them. Um, And because I'm predicting they will, Matt's predicting they will, we think they're going to win in part because of their run game. Be aware of that part of if there's a big drop off from Johnny Johnson to... You know, Jalen Red slash Devin Williams slash Troy Franklin. Those guys aren't as big and as physical, typically. I mean, Jalen Red blocks as hard as almost anybody out there, but he's yeah. not 6'2", 210 pounds like Johnny Johnson. And Terrence Ferguson and Maliki Matavau and Spencer Webb are not terrible blockers. Matavao's had some really good moments, and Spencer's had a couple, too some really bad ones as well, but DJ Johnson was a different level. So just to, just a thing. sorry, a slight digression, but I think to kind of monitor is the impacts of those two players' potential absences in the run game.
2: Yeah. I mean, Oregon did pretty well last week without DJ Johnson. Um, it would be really, really great for them to have him this week against Utah. But again, I'm in the same boat as y'all. Uh, I've got 250 yards or over for Oregon on the day on the ground. I just think that's just going to be Oregon's MO, um, that's what they've been doing the last couple weeks. weeks. Um, if they hit 300, that's three straight. Like Eric said, if they hit 250, that's four straight games with at least 250 yards on the ground, which again is nuts. I mean, I brought up the stats earlier. Um, right now they're averaging 297 in the last three games. Uh, I don't think they'll hit that. I, I do think they'll at least get over uh, 200 yards. like very minimum. I just think they're going to ride their rushing offense again for the four straight week. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just going to be a combination. It, whether you know, Travis Dye puts up 145 or 150 yards on the ground, or Anthony Brown has another 100-yard game, or Cardwell, McGee, shoot, maybe we see like a Jalen Red uh, end sweep, something like that. Uh, I just think that they're going to try to uh, take advantage of, of Utah's defense and take advantage of Oregon's uh, battle in the trenches and how they have – I think they have the upper hand there. So I think they're just going to try to take advantage of it at all
0: costs. All right, defensive individual, Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, I'm going to – I'm expecting a big game from him, one of his best games of his career. Um, I don't know how many sacks he's going to get in this one, but I'm going to go with five or more tackles for loss in this football game.
1: Big. That's big time. I, uh, I'm i going two and a half or more sacks, uh, which would match – or best his career high which is two and a half against utah in the 2019 conference championship game he's had two games this year where he's had two sacks um that was against ucla and then last week against washington state i think he takes it up a a step and like we've said before on this show today um he just seems like he lives for the big moments a lot of his best Mm -hmm. games have been in big moments and i just have a sense and a feeling that he's ready to unleash another big one against utah and as steve bartle said Utah fans are very aware of what Kayvon Thibodeau is. I think they get another reminder this weekend. I went completely different. I've got Jamal Hill having
2: a day. Um, I think Utah is going to go after their tight end advantage, and Jamal Hill is going to be, him and Jordan Happler are going to be that matchup. Um, I have Jamal Hill finishing with six-plus tackles and an interception. Uh, I think that's going to be something where the ball is batted at the line, And Jamal Hill happens to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, I expect Oregon to be really active on their defensive front, trying to get their hands up. I think Um, Rising has some susceptibility of getting his passes blocked down. And Oregon's been pretty good with that all year long, just like a sneaky thing that their defense has been doing. So uh, give me Jamal Hill six plus tackles and
0: a pick. Team pick here. Utah has done a very good job of protecting the football, not turning the ball over. Um, I think Oregon has some opportunistic moments, in part because of the pass rush um, that they're going to face. If if they can get Utah into some second and longs, third and longs, we're going to see some turnovers. It could be strip sacks. It could be passes being deflected by Noah Sewell and a DB intercepting it, or it could just be a DB making a great read like a Verona McKinley and getting an interception. Um, I I think Oregon does a really good job defensively in this football game. I think they have by far the better athlete in this matchup, Utah offense versus Oregon defense, and that's going to result in two turnovers uh, by Oregon's defense in this football game.
1: I kind of like the narrative we're creating here, and I hadn't really thought about it with Noah Sewell's deflections finally resulting in interception. He's got five pass deflections this season. None of them have been picked off. Like, wouldn't it be kind of fitting with his homecoming? Yeah. Maybe, maybe he knocks one into the air and someone picks it, or maybe he just grabs one finally, you know? I mean, he's been in so many spots. I was looking at the data here. He's 12th in the conference in pass breakups uh, with five, which is pretty impressive. As a linebacker. For at that spot, yeah. I mean, we talked about Isaac slade Mateo atiyah and kind of the hole he left in coverage. And part of it was he just got his hands on a lot of the balls. I think he had like 12 in 2019 or 10. I yeah, know he led the team. Guys, um, uh, sorry, Sewell's kind of filled in there. Um, I'm not going that route for this one. I am going, again, this game comes down to the trenches. I think Oregon runs for 250 more yards on the ground. And I think they hold Utah um, at half of their season rushing average output. And they average 215 mm-hmm. per game. So I have Utah running for... 108 or fewer yards in this game. I think Oregon's defense clamps them down. Um, Utah has run for more than 108 yards in every game besides the San Diego State game where they ran for 70 yards and lost. I know this is a different Utah team. Um, Tavion, Tavion Thomas is now playing at running back. Cam Rising is now playing at quarterback. These are guys that were not playing big snaps or at all really at that time in the season against San Diego State. But I think Oregon's defense is a defense that Utah just frankly hasn't played a team quite like it. Um, and I think Oregon's defense is going to really shut down this rush attack and force Cam Rising to win through the air, and I think they'll do that. And, again, statistically, Oregon, if this happens, would be, I think, four, well, three straight games under 108 yards um, in, in the last three because they really did a good job of bottling up both Washington State and Washington.
2: I went with a, uh, like a defensive hold under a certain yardage as well. I have Oregon holding Utah under 350 total yards of offense, um, that may seem like a lot, but Utah's been really good for six, seven weeks now in terms of their offensive production. Um, I thought about making the making the line at 300, but that's you know, barely happened with Utah. I believe it happened against CSU as well. Um, the last time they were held under 351 yards, to be specific, was September 25th in a win against Washington State, where they had exactly 350 yards. Um, I just think Oregon's defense is really firing right now. I think they're playing really well. I think uh, their second half adjustments the last couple of weeks have been great. Um, I think the Colorado game is a bit of an outlier just because of uh, Colorado's uh, picking on Brian Addison for the entire second half, um, and Brian's a good player, certainly. Um, He's, he's more, he's better suited to play like that high safety in a dime package rather than all like on the field at all plays um, Colorado took advantage of that. That's exactly what you should do. But Jordan Happel's in that spot. Now uh, they've been playing Dante Manning as well in the second at safety at the star position. Um, that's something to keep an eye out as well. But I think Oregon's defensive line causes enough havoc, um, whether that's doorless Popo, KT, maybe a Jason Jones sighting again, um, I think they're going to hold Utah under under 350 total yards for the game.
0: I like that. I like that a lot. All right, let's get to score predictions here. Um, I've gone back and forth on this. I think Oregon wins, but it's the, it's the margin that I've gone back and forth on. Um, I've said it, and so I, I'm going to kind of ride with it here a little bit. I think Oregon wins convincingly and i think this is it's the the only pause i have is i i kind of feel eric's going to get a good chuckle out of this i kind of feel the same way i did about the fiesta bowl last year um i everything <laughs> on paper just screams oregon and i have a hard time going against that even though it burned me last time in that fiesta bowl game but I just think Oregon has the better defense. I think they have the better offense. I have. I think they have the better individual player on defense. I think they probably have the better individual player on offense too. Um, and so everything just points to this team winning. And it's it's going to be close throughout. I think Oregon may tack on a late touchdown to make it feel like a bigger win than it really was. But I think Oregon goes to Utah, wins 34-20. to
1: Yeah, you know, Matt and I are not – Fan favorites in Ames, Iowa. Still <laughs> for our dismissal, dismissive podcast about the cyclones. We heard more after that from an opposing <laughs> fan base from any podcast ever. Um, shout out to Ames. Uh, shout out to Ames, Matt. I'm really. We have a very similar prediction on score. What a shocker that is. Um, I think we see this game similar. I, I'm kind of also restraining myself from really picking a more lopsided win because I, I thought about it and because um, I, I just think that there's. Something kind of feels similar to that Pac-12 championship game in 19. It really does, where there's just a sense that Utah, because of whatever reason, is just superior to Oregon. And yet these two teams, and again, Jared mentioned earlier, um, I wrote a story on the site talking about how they kind of mirror each other in a lot of ways. These teams are very similar, and I just think Oregon is better at almost every one of these areas that these two Quote unquote strengths are like it's strength on strength, and I think Oregon's just a little stronger across the board in most of these areas. So I have Oregon winning. I have Oregon winning 31 to 20. I think it's a relatively low scoring first half, and the second half picks up a little bit um, as Oregon gets its run game even kind of more involved, and, and maybe Utah has a little bit of success throwing it. Um, but I have Oregon winning by 11 points, and I think hopefully announcing themselves as more legitimate than what the suggestion nationally seems to be Um, the funny part about this is, is you can build up Utah all week as being a a team that's going to beat Oregon. And even if Oregon does beat Utah and win by 11 points or 14 points, like Matt and I are suggesting, you can then be dismissive of it and say, well, they only beat the number 23 ranked team in the country who has four losses by 11 or 14 (laughs) points. And I kind of suspect that'll be a narrative. Some people pick up regardless of the outcome. (laughs) That's,
2: you're not wrong. I haven't thought about that one, but that's probably what's going (laughs) to happen. I have Oregon winning. Uh, I don't think that they'll win by over 10 points. Um, They very rarely do that. Uh, I think i still think Utah is a very talented team. I still have I still think Utah has the capability of winning this game in general. Um, But I do think the strength on strengths Oregon's strength is just better than Utah's. Um, I think they have more talent on both ends of the field um, I think they have more talent in their strengths, like uh, Oregon's offensive line, I think, can handle Utah's defensive front. I think Oregon's defensive front can handle Utah's offensive front. Um, I think quarterback is basically a wash. Um, Utah's secondary has been really good in years past. I think they're good this year, but I don't think they're nearly as good as they have been in you know, in, in 2019. Um You know, I hate to keep going back to that game, but that's obviously the last time these two teams have played. Uh, 2020 they didn't play and that, you know, two years is a long time in football. A lot of people who were on both those teams are gone now. But Oregon, you could argue that this team is more talented than that 2019 team. Um, It's a tough one for sure, but uh, they're number three in the country for a reason. They're moving the ball really well the last couple of weeks. Their defense has been shutting opponents down really well the last couple of weeks. Um, this feels like it should be a statement game for Oregon. <laughs> the issue is that Oregon just, you know, they, they win. They win statement-wise and they, they win definitively, but um, just on the box score when somebody on the East Coast wakes up on Sunday morning and checks the Oregon game and they win by eight points, it's like, oh, well they, Alabama won by 36. Why didn't they do that? Um, but I still think they're going to win decisively. Um, I have been winning 34 to 28. Uh, I think it's going to be a close game throughout. I think it's going to be an intense game. Um, I'm really excited to go to Salt Lake City and watch it. Um, I think it's just going to be two talented football teams that go at each other, but I think Oregon's going to win. I think they're going to be in control of the game for a long portion. It should be a fun fourth quarter.
0: It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audibles podcast, a little bit longer edition of the show, but hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Next time you hear from us, we will be doing a post-game reaction From Salt Lake City, Uh, Jared and Eric will be there um, covering this game in person. And I will be manning the fort back home here in Eugene. So until Saturday night, Sunday morning, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk
1: to you later, folks.
0: Peace.